five, four, three, two, one. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Moon Tea Podcast. I'm John. This is Hugh. And we're not sure what we're going to talk about today, but let's get started with it. Hey, <laughs> episode four. Let's go. Yeah. I do have a quick PSA. You know what I just did earlier, just before this? I created our Twitter and Gmail. So we now have a Twitter handle, MoonTeePodcast, at MoonTeePodcast at gmail.com. Oh. If anyone has any questions, feedbacks, or want to just tweet at us or DM us, oh, yeah. that's the way. Hey. We'll put those down in the link below. <laughs> yeah. That handle. Let's go. <laughs> cool. And, uh, and uh, any, any sponsorships? <laughs> so that- send them our way <laughs> yeah our, our our dm box is pretty full though we might miss them so have them send a few <laughs> yeah you just send a send a good message to get our attention but yeah um how's the how's the week going good good i have <laughs> no one will know this because this is very in the middle of the week i get a box and i was like what is this i didn't buy anything from amazon and it's a big tea box and i was like wait what and it was from john so we bought a random tea sampler of all the different teas for i wonder why i wonder why (laughs) the moon tea podcast of course so we'll we're sipping some right now cheers cheers it's episode four episode four dude i read a i've been reading a really good book it it's one of those books that that like slightly alters the trajectory of my life or like makes me see things and think about things differently it's called it's called the art of learning and it's by a guy named josh waitskin and it's it's super good uh, Josh Waitzkin is a guy who was a competitive chess player growing up, and he was the subject of a book called Looking for Bobby Fischer. Bobby Fischer was a chess grandmaster who was undefeated uh, several years in a row, and then he just disappeared. So uh, Josh Waitzkin and his dad went on this journey to look for Bobby Fischer, and then and then uh, long story short, Josh Waitzkin at like 11 years old or something like beats Bobby Fischer in chess. Wow. And then that's pretty cool. It, yeah, it gets turned into a book and a movie. Um, but yeah, really, really cool book. So this Josh Waitzkin guy uh, was a world-class chess player. And then at like age 18 or something, he decided to pick up tai chi push hands and then like five years later he was the world champion and yeah it's amazing yeah yeah it's super cool it's like a really cool book um and yeah i mean i'll never be a world champion at anything but i you never know you never know you never know world championship world champion uh at being most, mediocre. <laughs> most most uh, guest appearances at the Moon Tea podcast. <laughs> tied tied with this other guy. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, awesome, dude. It, 
yeah it makes me it's like i don't i don't think it's fair to say that there's a takeaway from the book because it's one of those books that like the takeaway isn't isn't really that important it's just kind of like a fun really interesting read um but he talks a lot about structuring his framing. He talks about how he's like, he's not necessarily world-class at, ch at chess, but he's world-class at knowing how to learn something. Uh, and yeah, he, he, he talks about uh, when, he, when he learned chess, like he, he started with just like something really small he calls it like a really small circle. So he, he learned how to do like a king and a pawn against a king. And he would just like do that. And then it was like just a, just a bishop. It's like added one piece at a time. And I kind of, I've been kind of thinking about like, how do I apply this to my software? Like me doing software development. And it's, I feel like it's kind of a cool framework to approach a career because because the idea the idea of doing a career solely because it pays the bills is kind of sad for me and so i've been i've been like wrestling with this idea of like of like how do i make this into and this is what one of our podcast themes is about is like how do i make this into a craft and like something that something that like I get to just chip away at and get better at a little bit every day um, and so it's cool it's cool to read about someone who who like is good at learning and then trying to apply that to me doing something like building a new feature um, yeah I love it that's super cool yeah, I wonder the part where it's like uh, precise learning and iterative learning and compartmentalized learning, that seems so interesting, especially when proven by a two-time, well, one-time world champion, but beating Bobby Fischer too, which is pretty big. Wow. Yeah, and so, it, yeah, I don't know. Like, where do where do you want to be in 10 years? Like, are you Honestly, have you ever thought? Have you ever thought about being doing those those people who are like on YouTube? There's like the guy who picked up a, he got to like top thirty or fifty in ping pong in a hundred days or a year or something, and he did a YouTube series on that. And then there are other people who kind of do those thirty day challenges. I've always thought that was interesting, where you just pick up a new skill, like I don't know, become really good at Muay Thai for thirty days and go to Thailand, or like go and become really good at surfing in two, three months and then record the whole thing. And I thought those people who live that type of lifestyle are really interesting. Uh, well, I guess you could do challenges too. How do you do a hundred pull-ups and getting up to that in two, three months in a row Whoa, or something? hundreds a lot. Yeah, that would be crazy. But I don't know. Yeah. Not a, I'm, uh, it's interesting. I'm, I'm like, this book has inspired me to start jujitsu. And so I'm probably, I found, I found a place that's kind of near my apartment and I think I'll go tomorrow or like sometime later this week. So like, 
I kind of, I kind of am doing that where I'm like, I'm like, I want to learn how to, how to grapple and like protect myself. Like, cool. Yeah, I'll try it. I love it. Yeah, I'm totally into that too. Uh, one of my best friends, Nick, he's <clears throat> into jujitsu deeply as well. And he does, he mentions the exact same thing. And just the fact that he's able to walk the streets feeling more confident and getting better, but it's, it takes 10 years, right? To become a black belt in BJJ, Brazilian jujitsu. <clears throat> yeah, Incredible. I think so. I think if you're Josh Waitzkin, maybe, maybe like four years, but for the rest of us, regular people, probably a long time. Yeah. I have, I have a friend who is a blue belt and he's been doing it for like three years. That's amazing. But yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there are a lot of life lessons in there, but. Um, yeah, absolutely. I want to join. I want to take some BJJ classes as well. And COVID hit, so I didn't, but uh, my friend Nick, he was, he was trying to convince me and I was like, yeah, I'm down. And then we just, it kind of fell through. He still goes every now and then, I think. Well, he hasn't been going recently, but he was going for till a few months back. And once this is over, I'm down. Let's go. Yeah, it's probably last last roll. on the list, last on the list to come back post COVID. Just because you're like yeah. in close contact with a stranger, I think that's yeah. generally a not COVID safe. But oh man, gotta try that stuff. Just like salsa dancing. Oh, like whatever, I, whatever the last the last phase is, salsa dancing and jujitsu are like after that. Exactly. Yeah, I I can't. I really want to learn <laughs> to dance, dance. My oh my, that would be so good. I've taken classes here and there, but I never stuck through it, and it makes me sad. I wish I could, but I think yeah. I think one of the I, I did I did class I did uh salsa classes for a few months, in two thousand thirteen, but I'm like very glad that I did back then. I'm not, I'm not, I'm definitely not good or anything. Like there, there, are, I, I feel like the average Latin man is born knowing how to salsa dance, just like comes out of the wound and their, their hips are shaking. So I think us Asian people and you half Asian person are uh, at a disadvantage, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I, uh, I remember going in 2013 when I was studying abroad and I just like showed up to a, to a salsa lesson and I'm like super glad that I did. It was like, got, got me out of my shell and got to meet cool people and all that. But yeah, I highly, I highly recommend it. Um, yeah. Any, any other experiences you think are worth pursuing? So many, so many. Hey Julia, my sister's home. Hi Julia, we'll we'll get her on one day. She just did a radio podcast the other day, a radio interview oh, yeah? for her own thing. She's all she's all cool, and here oh, we man. are recording episode four. Julia, hey, we're recording right now. You can make a cameo if you want. <laughs> nope. Um. Anyways, yeah, I don't have a soundproof studio. I'm just in the the, the <laughs> living room. <laughs> but anyways. I digress with regards to skills I want to pick up so many I actually just today on the career side well on, on like hobby side of things I you should see my trunk I just have like rollerblades slack line 
camping gear. It's kind of kind of funny, but you also you also have like a barbecue pit thing. Right? I I yeah 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 I have I have a grill I have a, a Weber grill. <laughs> a nice little little hot pot thing. What do you call them pots? I forget. Kettles the kettle. It's good. I just oh dude. Costco has really like if you're serving six filet mignons, go to Costco because you can get six filet mignons for like 50, 60 bucks. And you said you said filet mignon as if as if you just like a regular meal thing for you. You know, Dang. it was Dad's birthday this past weekend. We had a <laughs> we had to spoil them, threw some of those on the grill. And I was like, wow, I'm actually starting to understand how to how to actually grill here. It was pretty fun. It was pretty good. There's like having the uh, the thermometer in there makes all the difference. If you don't have a thermometer, get a thermometer, especially the instant read ones or else it's just it's no fun. Um, that makes sense. You know, one day we should bring on someone for deep in the food game. Get them in here. That'll be cool. Yeah, yeah sure. Are you also learning rollerblading and how to yeah, stand yeah, on yeah. a rope? Yeah. Well, I already i i i picked those picked slacklining up a while back, but rollerblading is fun. Um, picked that one up over COVID. A lot of places are just sold out these days, like Big Five and and such. They don't have a very high supply of rollerblades because everyone picked it up in COVID. And I have some friends that go blading, and we'll go blading every now and then. It's a great way to hang out because I was getting a bit little inside. And so I was trying to find any excuse to get outside with friends. So we picked up pickleball too recently, learning how to play pickleball, which is a totally random sport. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. But today I just asked my our chief data scientist if I could be his apprentice. So we'll see how <laughs> that goes. I'm going to learn some R on my free time. I got through like three things on data camp and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I need to learn more about data. <laughs> all right so, so so next on your list is data scientist yeah yeah basically <laughs> <laughs> how do i do that like 20 percent of my job and still trying to figure out what i'm doing in the other parts piecing <laughs> it all together <laughs> so i guess the mobile app is built and and yeah there's yeah, just we, there's like ma less maintenance stuff and like the core features are there yeah, no, we brought on uh, one of my close friends, um, Ethan. We brought him on, and he's a full-time mobile developer now. And so he's taken over that mobile role and is unbelievable. That guy is so hardworking, so smart and diligent and, like, proactive. And that's something I really respect about people, especially just in the workforce. And ho I, I aim to be those attributes as well where rather than having there's like certain developers at times that you work with and it, i just watch from a designer seat a lot of the times in the past where they have to be told to do everything and they just do the minimal amount of work and then they only get assigned xyz and they do it and then that's very fair in a a larger company and it's not just minimal on work i'm sure they're assigned a fair workload but like in a startup where the processes aren't really efficient or optimized and people can take advantage of them. I, I really respect Ethan in the sense of how he kind of is taking initiative and working on his pieces and 
just going ahead and reading XYZ code and implementing it. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. Like, go you. No one's really PMing him. So he's kind of kind of doing it right now on his own. And it's like, okay, that's awesome. I mean, random, random cue. Do you know of David Hanemeyer Hansen for like Basecamp and Ruby on Rails founder and such? Did he write? Is he is he the Basecamp CEO? Yeah, Basecamp CEO and just founded a Hey, the email company that's supposedly more moralistic than Gmail and such. I've heard yeah. about it. Yeah. They have a really interesting product management philosophy called like Shape Up. And and it's really interesting. They have like similar yet different ideals than the agile system and and I've been thinking about that a lot recently of the nuances there yeah high level and just it's interesting lots of thoughts to read it's free online cool resources really suggest it for insights on pming in a different light i i, I have found that to be nice yeah they're they're in a really they're they're they have like a really interesting product where the the ceo can write a book about about like Hey, you don't have to like. You don't have to work until you kill yourself. And then, he writes this book. It's a it's a good uh, recruiting tool. And people also find out about your product. Yeah. And then he can. And then he can like. Continue this this thing where, where his employees are. Strictly working like up to forty hours a week. And then they have like in the summer they have like four day work weeks, just like I think they get like flowers or like once a week or something. Just really interesting situation that they like carved out for themselves. And they're they're not like trying to be this take over the world software thing. Like they're they're very much just like, hey, for this niche of of uh, small businesses. Like we want to be this this project management tool, and then if you're like above this amount, then like go find something else. And then they like don't have any one large customer. Like it's it's just such an interesting way of way of uh, having employees, and such an interesting way of like choosing your product. And yeah, yeah, right. Like their business model too is so interesting in the sense of one you just highlighted. It's basically organic marketing from the things that are resources that they've created. And I just mentioned them and it's happening right now. Right. But mm-hmm. also the the actual pricing scheme is very interesting to also think about where they say, you know, most people like some of the other tools like Asana and even Figma, they all have those on Slack, right? They all have $10, $15 per person per seat. And it, it scales up with the company. And just sometimes you don't need everyone. This is something I've always been annoyed with. Like with Figma, you have a $15 seat per person as a designer, if they're a designer. And then if you want to scale it up, it goes up to $45 per person. But if you have five, de- five designers and like some editor, some other viewers that have access, you can't just have like a few at 15 and a few at 45. You have to move everybody up to 45. And I've always found that to be really annoying when you don't want all those features for everybody in a way. 
I just just smart but annoying for them. Uh, for me, I mean, with regards to Basecamp, they're a hundred dollars flat, and I think that's just interesting. They're like, no matter how big you scale, no matter whatever, it is a hundred dollars. And yes, no, this isn't a paid advertisement. It is just an interesting model. They do have, you know, yeah, it is interesting. Their chat feature is not very good though. <laughs> I remember us trying <laughs> it, and I was like, this is so buggy. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, how can I, I don't understand how how it's still so buggy when it's they're around for so many years and then chat's such a big feature. I was like, wow, it's very featureless compared to was other it, features. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I just remember. I just remember we were we were talking in like four different mediums. Like we had this project management tool for two people. <laughs> yeah, it's like, dude, you can just text me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we had Basecamp, we had Notion, we were on Slack, and Figma. <laughs> I was like, what are we doing? This is when we were trying to work on Piggy, right? <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> oh dear, that's funny. Cool, man. So you're, but yeah, if I. If I were to start a company, I would try to take more of the base camp approach. Or yeah, I totally, I would yeah. absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, I had a in a in a previous company that I worked for. One time they had this big meeting and they were like, they were like, we need to increase revenue by fifty percent. How do we increase revenue by fifty percent? And then Great. they're just like throwing out all these ideas, and I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really like that because uh, basically they're they're trying to raise a next round, and the investors had told them if you grow by fifty percent next year, then we'll be more interested. But yeah, it's just it felt it felt very forced and very. Uh, Yeah, I mean, like that, that's something that is kind of out of your control. And like the focus should be on building a good product and, and uh, making sure your customers are happy. Like, and then, and then, like, in theory, that revenue should come. But um, yeah, whereas Basecamp writes about how they have zero goals whatsoever or like zero income goals whatsoever they're just like let's build something cool but like not work too hard for it and like not and like let each other have our deep work and all of that um anyways so you've been studying data science i, I haven't been studying data. i just started three hours ago and then i took a nap before this so, and then so signed us taking... up on twitter so you've been studying data science for three hours? <laughs> More like five minutes of three hours. <laughs> I know. I, I think it's really pretty, actually, in R. I thought this was a very cool day. To, to assign a variable, you write X, and then the left minus, the letter less than sign minus, and then the number or whatever the variable is. And I thought it's cool because it's like an arrow of the number pointing at the variable. So it's like X, arrow, and then three. So it's like three is X. I uh, thought that was really cool. I, I like that syntax. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> the equal sign is cool too, but hmm. I thought that was really pretty. <laughs> and that's the I farthest guess, I got. 
they have hashtags <laughs> for comments like python and that's it <laughs> nice Yeah, the problem the problem is that there's so much to learn. So like even even within under the umbrella of design, like you could just you could just go into different rabbit holes and stuff. And I guess I guess you're you're doing that with like a bigger umbrella where you're just like, I want to know how this data science stuff works. Yeah, that's something I struggle with actually. It is interesting and and. Like right now, and I've been having this conversation openly with my product manager, co-product managers and our product manager mentor, Kyle. I'm currently a designer going over to the PM role, but also, and I had this question with my friends too, when I was like really thinking of whether or not I would want to switch or not. It was like, I'm like at this weird cusp where there's so much more to learn in the design. I've only scratched the surface and I haven't even made out the full design system at a scale that I'd like or whatnot, but it's hard because there's like a thing with whether or not, you know, like it's a bit of a jumble of thoughts right now, but career capital and staying in one profession and then going up the ladder from junior designer, mid-level, senior, lead, principal, et cetera, to a design manager the same track for development too. It's almost like I'm shooting myself in the foot by hopping off the train when I'm a mid to senior level de designer. And mm -hmm. just as we're about to expand our design team and bring on a few more designers, I'm stepping off and when I could have probably progressed into a lead designer role. And then from there, build that design system and build from there and become a principal designer in time or even a uh, design lead or manager. And I, I definitely wonder sometimes, I'm like, well, what is it about me right now that is causing myself to like hop off that bandwagon, which would just give me so much more career capital in that trade or profession vertical? than me hopping off and kind of just becoming not just but just to becoming a pm product manager and then also splitting my my thought process and learning in r at times if i if i really stick with it let's check in in like two or three more moon tea podcasts but we'll see how my mm -hmm. my data science projection is going and and i just sometimes wonder i'm like what am i really doing it for or like, is it worth it? Cause I should, I would be maximizing my income, even though PMs are paid more in the industry. If I were to be a higher level designer, I would be getting high pay as well, but I'm kind of like mm -hmm. shooting myself in the foot and starting again on purpose. And I don't know. Sometimes I'm just like, huh, I really don't know if this is the right idea. I don't know if I should just stay in the thing, but in the design role and grow in that one at the startup and then find the time to, to do it elsewhere. But uh, I'm okay. I think I'm, I'm like, I think it's about learning about being interested in what you're doing. And, and at this point, at least just having a solid foundation of what's your minimum you'd accept on, on wage and then find where you keep growing and keep investing in oneself. That's like what I've come to think about. And I think that's where I'm going, but just a curious thing to like toss around and think about out loud. That's kind of where I am.
Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that doesn't make it doesn't make it so that like it doesn't make it so that you don't have those skills. Like a designer with PM experience who who kind of knows when it's a good time to step in and like run a meeting or make sure that everyone else is kind of on the same page. Like I think those are pretty those are pretty transferable skills. Um, that might be a little bit harder to to uh, like brand yourself as, or like it'll be harder for someone to know that outside of the interview. Yeah. Like unless they've unless they've worked with you. Um, but yeah, I guess that is that is kind of tricky. I guess you're kind of at a point where you where you're like, all right. I don't care like if I if my salary moves up higher at this point like that's cool but but I I would also rather like be curious about things and then dive into those curiosities mm-hmm. um yeah I mean hey you're still a functioning human still paying taxes and and uh co-hosting this podcast so like something's working out so far (laughs) (laughs) dude 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 slight tangent i don't know about you but in the past week i have said to two different people oh you're interested in that you should look at x episode of the moon tea podcast (laughs) (laughs) episode three (laughs) yada yada like oh okay sweet i'll do that if you're if you're listening right now because because Hugh has uh, Hugh has uh, advertised this podcast, then shout out to you. Pat yourself on the back. Shoot us a, an at Moon Tea Podcast Twitter, <laughs> and, and we'll like you back and just be like, hey, I am listening. <laughs> and then I'll just be so happy. I'll be like, wow, this is actually working. <laughs> People are listening for no reason. I don't know why. <laughs> I know why. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess for me, like, I'm not, I don't, I don't feel like I would be that interested in PM. I think, I think I could eventually do it, but like right now I'm trying to not be in a lot of meetings and I'm trying not to manage other people's work. I mean, I, I definitely, I'm like lowest on the totem pool right now, but I think that's one reason for me not to not to like take on a bigger role like I'm, I'm trying to intentionally take a step back and like and being like hey I'm working on this like you've hopefully hopefully I'm not blocking you on anything but like <laughs> disclaimer if you are a co-worker or an, a manager of John he's working very hard on what he's doing that being let that be said however <laughs> yeah yeah I am um building like a like working on some some cool stuff that uh takes a lot of focus and effort uh but yeah yeah i guess yeah i guess that i guess my company is a little bit bigger and so the way i see it is like even in software development, like there are all these angles that I could do. So I still feel like 
having all those options like would still would still be like different parts like different code bases or like another language um so i guess i don't feel i don't feel constrained in that way but, but yeah who knows i could be a full-time artist like four years from now i hope so that'll be great i'll buy your first piece <laughs> dude okay so slight tangent again artist art nfts <laughs> the the fun little update actually was in the past three days i um was just listening in on a bunch of different clubhouse rooms and uh, nft based and i i actually got you my first nft dude i had i got my first wallet someone sent me my first thing on the crypt the blockchain network that was an nft art piece basically just think of like someone's art was sent to me instantly and that was cool i own like four pieces of it? art right now what was I, it jack jack dorsey's first tweet i wish uh, dude. lebron james dunking <laughs> oh my goodness that's so funny let me actually see i wonder um did you see dude, that take did you see that this. meme did you see that meme where uh the this person is at a party and he's he's in the corner by himself and he's like no one knows that i own this song's nft no way <laughs> oh my goodness <laughs> they should be all paying me royalties because i own it man it's unique <laughs> look at this look at this it's pretty sick so nfts these are my my nfts <laughs> i like own these you should make a wallet you can make it and i'll send you one of these it's pretty cool <laughs> i own an nft <laughs> well yeah nfts are did really you, interesting uh, did you have to mortgage your house to get this my man they were free because not everything needs to be paid for in this life Whoa. but you also have to pay to mint nfts very very cheap though on that one. Oh, you have to yeah, pay they, to maintain it mint them so there's a there's mint a term them. minting yeah that's when you create them for anyone who's wondering and it's really interesting like there's different so right now it's actually interesting. It's an interesting time because Ethereum had its version 2.0 fork or whatnot in December, and they added gas fees, right, to the protocol. And so the gas fees are exorbitantly high right now. So people that are minting things are uh, paying a lot of money and they don't want to pay the money. So they're trying to find other alternatives. And and I'm just beginning to join in on this, listen in on the conversation, but there are different blockchains like the one that I just showed you is built off of the EOS blockchain in a wallet slash token called Wax. And it's basically free, like less than $5 to mint an exorbitant amount of your own NFT artworks. But then I'm like, okay, that's cool. Like, why isn't everyone doing that? Um, and I guess there's a no rabbit hole of, yeah, it's hard to, sometimes it's like easy to get your money and hard to get your money onto things like this. And I guess it's just not as, popular as no one's ever heard of wax but i thought that was interesting it's a bit bad ui it's hard to get i couldn't really get i couldn't buy any money on it right now it was just everything doesn't work you can't pay with a credit card in the u.s easily to buy wax. Mm. it's so interesting so i guess that's that makes sense and then i'm trying to like write a medium list uh, this is what i'm gonna do of like the different things i'm i'm finding and just trying to like keep track of them 
um and then i'll remember the names because there's like one called like open sea super cool you can like see a bunch of artwork but people are selling ridiculous amounts of money stuff on there and it's like wow mm. this is like art and so i was like trying to figure out how it pairs to the real world and i always think of my sister she's like she's an artist and she does a lot of painting i'm like how do you mint your art get it to be an nft and then have it one-to-one and or create original digital versions of it um and then the other just yesterday morning i was talking to another good friend of mine nick and i was like yeah he loves trading card games and and stuff like that like magic i was like yeah man instead of playing well so much why don't you check out of making your own card game on it as an nft and supposedly like i was like yeah it would be really cool because you can even create evolve forms you can create like dynamically traded cards that then can merge and then evolve into a new card on a whatever the technology is underneath it's like it's been proven there's like a, a site called crypto kitties and they have a bunch of little cats and then you put them together and they evolve into like a new cat with special features like evolutionarily, and then someone sold the most expensive crypto kitty for $170,000. So there's just dumb money in that market, and it's super interesting. But yeah, trading card game, super, super cool. That's like a cool way to think about NFTs and like how that could be interesting where people can create their own unique sets of X, Y, and Z originals, one of 10 of photos. And I don't know exactly how it works, works, but did I'm getting you know, there. Did you know there are, there are, uh, nft index funds so like if you want to if you want to have an index fund on crypto kitties then you can you can just like bet on the industry so there's there's like an etf kind of i don't know i guess it's not an nft i guess it's a some sort of DeFi thing what's DeFi? what's DeFi? i mean you could probably tell me at this point yeah i know but i asked you first <laughs> yeah it's uh DeFi stands for decentralized finance and uh it's a fancy word to say that we now have a lot of financial services products that run on blockchain which is a wordy way of saying you can do things like get a loan um lend out some kind of property um, and exchange exchange coins for other coins but without any central authority so it's like it's something that a a government entity or or like one person should not be able to shut down um, and yeah it's really it's really interesting because these are real products that people are using today like they're real products that people are using on the DeFi space or that the DeFi space is copying from the the current regular fiat world or both oh like they're they're real products like you can you can exchange coins for other coins on an exchange that that like runs on a decentralized network so interesting uh, so so I'm going to play devil's, not devil's advocate, but just the newbie questioner, because I've actually also been sitting in on a lot of the intro classes by the different clubs on Clubhouse and listening to what people are asking. So I've been, I spent like probably eight to 10 hours in the past two days as I was weeding our yard and doing some other chores, listening to what people were asking. 
So I'm going to pull that one where Whoa. I'm going to ask that with you. Uh, so is DeFi coin to coin thing like Coinbase or what do you mean? How do I, what is this DeFi exchange you're talking about? Is it just one or is it many? So there are many exchanges. Coinbase is one example of an exchange, but it would technically be a centralized exchange. Oh. Uh, oh. <laughs> Tell me um, more. Yeah. Um, I actually I actually used a decentralized exchange in late 2017. So it like, might have been one of the first ones that was out there. Oh, which one? Uh, it was called Open Ledger. It ran on okay. this coin called BitShares. And yeah, I mean, it wasn't very good, but it worked. That's pretty cool. What'd you buy on it? Or what'd you do? What'd you, so how did, yeah, how did you even get there? I've been actually wondering a lot about, you know, did you, did you have to buy through a fiat to crypto on-ramp and then go from crypto to crypto to get to that DeFi exchange? Or how did you get your fiat onto that and into that and onto whatever coin you wanted? I had a, I had a contract job, so I, I, I did some work and I was paid in Bitcoin. What? On this, on this platform. <laughs> what? When did you, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, no. I, had a, I had a contract job in, uh, I started in September 2017 and I was paid in Bitcoin. That's amazing. That's really cool. And then they stopped, they stopped paying, they stopped paying, I think, at the end of December. It's like when, as soon as Bitcoin prices started going down, like they stopped, they stopped paying. And so it wasn't, I was just like, ah, all right, guess I'll find a real job now. Oh, oh, that was when it was at its high, right? In the end of 2017, like the 20K price point, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was a, that was a really cool experience because, because I would be, I would be working and like on this application thing and then outside of that i was spending all my time reading about crypto just like learning it all at once and i think once i once i was paid in it it just it just like made a lot more sense to me because i i mean probably this is the case for you too but like you probably like had heard about it a bunch of times. Like I, I had too. I remember, I remember seeing an interview in 2015 with the Winklevoss twins, and they were saying they were saying like, oh yeah, we think we think it could be, we we think it can be like four hundred thousand dollars a coin, and this is when Bitcoin was at like four hundred dollars. And I remember thinking these guys have lost their minds, and I just like continued on with my life until early 2017 and I was like oh nice so it's a little bit closer I I have a similar thing where I studied abroad in Europe and at a university at Embra and when I was in my dorm I remember looking at my computer dark room just by myself minimal amount of friends and I remember looking up something my ex's brother had mentioned once when you're in Hawaii and he's talking about Bitcoin. And I was like, what is this? And I saw Bitcoin <laughs> for $300 or maybe it was 350 per Bitcoin. 
at that moment, I was like, maybe I should buy some, but I don't have any money. I, <laughs> and I was like, dude, now I look back and I'm like, why didn't I just buy one? Well, you didn't have money. <laughs> I was a poor college student. Yeah. So sad. Oh. It happens. Whatever. Yeah. yeah, I'm not worried. It'll it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Dollar cost averaging, Ooh. bit by bit. Here we go. Nice. But but back to back to the the real questions at hand though. DeFi mm-hmm. exchanges. Why mm-hmm. is Coinbase and such a centralized exchange? And what is a decentralized exchange? What are some examples of some popular ones now? And then we can continue on the conversation of that comparison and what's better or worse or mediocre. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the popular decentralized exchanges are. I've heard of Uniswap and SushiSwap. I think, I think SushiSwap is not a decentralized exchange, or the other way around. Not too hmm. sure. Um, I think most people who are, I think most people who are dabbling in decentralized exchanges probably don't are not like probably don't need to like you can probably find most of those coins on binance or um like i'm guessing people are doing it because it's it's like the cool thing to do or there's like a really obscure coin that isn't listed anywhere else Um, and obscure coins are also known as altcoins in the industry yeah i guess i guess any coin that is not bitcoin is an altcoin uh, that's very true. Touche, touche. However, the alt alt coins are the ones that are not found on like Kraken, Binance, Coinbase, onboarding, yeah. Cash App. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually have I actually have a friend who uh who is very deep into that ecosystem. And no way, that's so cool. I'm, yeah. I'm just beginning to peek my head into it. <clears throat> yeah, we should interview him. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah let's after... learn more about this though. We need to learn more. Yeah, maybe after we... after ten episodes, let's let's, let's interview it. someone. Um. So. Yeah, I mean, we can we can dive into crypto and Bitcoin and and all that. What. What uh, what are some of your predictions about like. What. This, in a general sense, could be, or like why why should people. Why should people care about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and DeFi and NFTs? Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Uh, there's just a, a lot to unpack there. Um, where do you, where where? Hmm. From the very very surface level amount of research that I've done, that is a decent amount, but still nothing compared to lots of people out there. It really seems to me that just at a technological foundation level, foundational level of our monetary system globally. The current ledger system and account clearinghouse systems of bank-to-bank transfers over the SWIFT networks, Bay networks, SEPA networks in Europe, yada, yada, 
are very good. They do the job, but they also have a lot of problems. And from what little I know, they allow for things kind of like the GME stock to happen where, I don't know if it's the best analogy, but because of a lot of one loopholes and two the the technology is so slow that there's it's not a perfect accountability system where different ledgers and diff, from different places have different amounts of equity and securities and whatever trackings that it allowed the GME stock to be shorted to like 140% of all the shares that are even existing of it. And that's like not fully in part due to, but one part in due to a more arcane, archaic, just underlying software point of view uh, for how the, the ledgers are kept in and things are kept from what I've heard. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I think in the same way, the banking system worldwide has a very similar issue when you're trying to do a swift from the US to you know France it's not going from bank to bank it's going from bank to bank to bank to bank then to the bank and then everyone ha- takes a cut in between on the rails the payment rails and then if something goes wrong or something gets lost tracking it down takes days if not weeks and the cost of it also really quite high and there's nothing really for a dollar transaction or a hundred million dollar transaction there's no real pinned amount that that's fixed and so i think just all of those are interesting things to account for when thinking about crypto and blockchain and there's different solutions kind of like stellar xlm we're trying it bitcoin's doing it where you have instant bank transfers b2b from X node to Y node. And the ledger system that's built on the blockchain. And for those who don't know the blockchain, we'll one day talk about that is pretty much perfect and nothing really gets lost due to all of the intricacies of how that all works. So the ledger system is really, really impeccable in a way and very trustworthy. And most all of the ones that I've seen are transparent. So I think that's just at a foundational level, why it is giving our payment rails that are in any country and nation uh, run for their money. And that's just the beginning. Well, that was, that was kind of for Bitcoin, but what about everything else? That wasn't actually Stellar's I think is very important on it. So Stellar is a really interesting P2P a B2B payment network that's built for that exact solution. And I think there are a lot of different coins that are really interesting that help create better anchor and on-ramps and off-ramps and the anchor nodes of them. But Bitcoin's also very, very important on it. And I don't know enough about it actually on how, and I want to learn more of just how the layer two, like lightning layer, is is it layer two for the lightning layer or is it just, because there's layer one, which is the Bitcoin protocol and such and Bitcoin by, by layer one. Do you mean on chain? Yeah. See, I don't, I don't understand it well enough yet. What is, what do you mean? What does that mean? Um, yeah. So there, 
I think at a very high level, there are two approaches towards uh, Bitcoin scalability problem. And the scalability problem is, is just summarized as when there are a lot of transactions, those transactions uh, can't all be fulfilled at once and they become really expensive. And so it, it doesn't, it doesn't like Bitcoin ends up not really fulfilling this role as, as cash or something that can be uh, where its value can be transferred. Um, and the, the first way people have thought of, of, of uh, making Bitcoin more scalable was uh, what's called an on-chain solution. So it, all it means is it, it's a literally like on the blockchain like doing some kind of changes. So like one of the more public, uh, one of the more public changes was a fork in 2017 called Bitcoin Cash. Uh, the difference with Bitcoin Cash is that um, instead of a block size of 10 megabytes for Bitcoin, for Bitcoin Cash, I think it's, 40 megabytes like it's just they're like just bigger blocks when with with bigger blocks you can fit more transactions in there uh and because because they're not fighting miners are not fighting for that space then those transactions can be a lot cheaper uh the second the second thing that was done recently was called uh segregated witness which is not a fork like it's actually it's actually a software update for Bitcoin right now. And it's just a change to how the blocks are organized. So it just makes them more efficient. Uh, so those, those are the on-chain, uh, kind of like recent on-chain innovations that I'm aware of. Uh, the Bitcoin Cash community basically argues that uh, because because computing resources are getting cheaper and cheaper, you can just make the block size bigger and bigger. Um, and there's a whole there's a whole debate behind it. Um, but then the people in the Bitcoin like core world are are saying that we need what Hugh Hugh refers to as level two solutions or like off chain solutions. And the idea behind the off-chain solution is that we keep the uh, we keep we keep the blockchain the same, which is like every ten minutes there's a new block is mined uh, and like added added to the blockchain. Um, the most like well-known off-chain solution is uh, what's called the Lightning Network, and the idea behind the Lightning Network is that people or businesses or companies or anyone run different nodes that kind of like attach themselves to the network. And then when there are a lot of nodes on this network, then you can, you can do a transaction that in theory should be really fast and really cheap. Um, and the way, the way that it works is um, at a high level, it's kind of like, it's kind of like if, you and I had a Venmo transaction where we get lunch, 
I charge you for whatever the lunch was, $10. And then um, Hugh buys something else and he just returns that $10. And like, we just have the, this Venmo balance that it was like, just keeps going up and down. But then at the end of the day, it becomes like, I owe Hugh $4. And then when the node gets disconnected or uh, is not part of the, like, just, or like, or like wants to even out all those transactions, then it does an on-chain transaction. Mm. That and makes so, a lot of sense. Yeah. And so if I was a, if I was a business that was doing uh, a lot of transactions and like, it would just be way cheaper to do it that way. And then you can also have like, you can have like nodes. Like what I was thinking was you could have the on-chain Bitcoin transactions and then you can have nodes under that. And then you could have sub nodes and you just have like a library, like a bunch of nodes that are supporting each other. And so like the more security you want, you would want to go to a higher node. But then if you're, if you're buying coffee, like you don't care if it's, you don't care if it's the lowest node. So uh, that's, that's kind of how I'm thinking about it long-term. There's definitely a lot with the lightning network network that I don't know about, but I think at a high level, that's how it works. Um, and it's, it's like kind of being used right now, but not as a not as a widely adopted thing yet. Like it still took time to use the SegWit um, upgrade like version wallets. Like it, it took time for for people to start using those wallets. And so I think in the same way, like Bitcoin runs very slowly, but also very securely. Um, there's so much to yeah. unpack here. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. I, <laughs> I just I just googled how many transactions per second for Bitcoin. And is this right? Seven trends, nine thousand transactions per second? No, seven transactions. To put this in perspective, the BTC network which many still incorrectly insist on referring to as Bitcoin, limits its block size to one to four megabytes, permitting maximum seven transactions per second. It's more like three to four. I don't understand. But basically, something I have a question on is, you know how like they say Bitcoin can't compete with credit cards and Visa MasterCard networks right now because they're able to do what, mm -hmm. 10,000 transactions a second or something like that, something. And Bitcoin can't have enough transactions. So like the mm -hmm. Lightning Network and such, those solutions seem like that's how they would kind of take off that traffic and to support those until it goes on chain. But at a at a Bitcoin level, so right now, do we know how many, like, I guess I just need to study it more, but um yeah, you've got you've got like the average ten minute block mining hash algorithm changing and updating, so it's average of ten minutes, right, per block. And then you've got block sizes, and then you've got transactions per second. So I don't know what to ask really. I'm just trying to like think about it live. Yeah, I think yeah. I think a, I think it's important to note that I don't. Like, I don't even think we need to have that many transactions per second. Like, I don't, I don't think that's, I don't think that's all that important. 
isn't that the problem though with like ethereum gas fees and stuff everyone's trying to pay for their transaction to get verified sooner or later so they can up or lower their amount i think you do it on bitcoin too you can like pay to higher fees to get it mm -hmm. and and so like if you're buying a car you don't want to wait too long for it to go through so the more people that use bitcoin the slower it becomes unless we have better solutions right or am i missing something and then also if you want to get a better time to three verifications whatever that really means and however you check that is interesting um i still want to figure that one out too it's like you have to pay more like, and how much is that more and, and where do i look interesting question yeah i mean you definitely you definitely have to pay more if you want it to go through faster but i don't i think i think people overestimate how much of a problem that is because like i don't i don't think the point of bitcoin is to be able to buy coffee with it even though at one point you probably were able to um yeah I don't, I don't That's think it's a really like, interesting question. Yeah. yeah, I don't think it like needs to do. I don't think it like needs to be that payment thing for everyone. Uh, hmm. But that could be a that could be another discussion because it, it, it goes into like. Because like right now, banks do settlement with each other, whether it's at the end of the day or like once a week or or whenever, because like they're also sending transactions back and forth. And so because Visa and MasterCard, they're like they're all connected to these banks, like none of them are actually doing settlement. Like they're, they're doing like this loose version of a lightning network where everyone is every, like all these central banks are kind of like sending IOUs to each other. And then at the end of the day, they like clear they like clear it. The difference with Bitcoin is that you you send that value right away. Until we use the Lightning Network. Until you use it. Well, even if you use the Lightning Network, like once you take the, once you like with, yeah, I guess that's stuff, that's stuff for me to read into as well. I don't know if I'll get a chance, but we should we should bring someone on who knows what they're talking about but yeah i don't i don't think that's i don't think that's the uh that's like such a horrible issue i think i, I think transactions could be like a thousand dollars and bitcoin will still be really useful transaction fees will be a thousand transaction yeah transaction amount? transaction fees will be a thousand dollars yeah i think even if it was a thousand dollars like bitcoin will still be super useful wait that's totally i've never heard anyone say that yet i always thought everyone's like it'll be super super cheap cents to a dollar for one dollar or a million hundred million dollars why where did a thousand dollars come from and I'm that just, sounds I'm just, scary yeah i'm just throwing out a giant number i'm just curious yeah you know, how does that is that due to the the, the network getting um uh, over overwhelmed by too many people in transactions and then that's um, you paying higher fees to get it done this is well, this interesting. If you, wow. if you think about if you think about in the year twenty one forty, we're gonna mine our last Bitcoin. After that, like we're still gonna need miners. And so how our miner is gonna be rewarded, it's gonna mm -hmm. be 
it's gonna be through mining fees. But it's gonna have to it's gonna have to be a lot more than it is now, if we want if we want the network to be as secure as it is right now or more secure, because that electricity is not free, right? Dude, wait, hold on. So we're Bitcoin is supposed to be becoming the world's reserve currency, mm-hmm. and that means that's a big thing. If within 120 years and that's it it's a thousand dollars per transaction via my apple pay as, as am i missing something here because that doesn't sound yes. right yes i'm saying it can be a thousand dollars for an on-chain transaction fee uh and so but... everything else would be on the lightning network like virtualized and just on ledger to ledger and then finally go to the i think the so chain. i think so i mean no one's gonna know for sure but um because like you, th- you think about it after after we stop having bitcoin rewards we're gonna need to have mining fees like if we if we didn't have mining fees then their bitcoin wouldn't have any security yeah all the miners would go away the incentive's gone that makes sense it's yeah it is a it is a curious question and if we're relying only on mining fees then those fees have to go up because like the assumption is that the Bitcoin network is going to be pretty, pretty robust by then. And so like, it could, it could be like a million dollars a transaction. See, this is why I don't know if this is exactly why I still am partially skeptical and questioning of Bitcoin and the fact that it is a finite amount of 21 million. Like I understand that it is theoretically a good idea to have a deflationary currency for certain reasons and no Mm -hmm. centralized bank for many different reasons. I do not know if I truly am on board with the idea of something that there will never be any more assets made of and there's only a hundred million Satoshis in a Bitcoin. And so it's not infinitely divisible. And also, if and when that hypothetical point comes, that's the, the amount per coin will go up exponentially or whatever. And then people might not even start selling it because it's too high and, and such. So I just, that's why I also am thinking about a lot of, a number of other coins that have inflation baked in at a fixed rate and such like that. So that you never have that problem of the minor not being incentivized to add security to the system due to X, Y, and Z and always being able to get five, know that 5% more is made or 2% or 10% is more is made every year, three years, you know, it is interesting. And I still don't yeah. know the answer. My, my thoughts. I think I know the answer. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, Do tell, tell me more, please. Yeah. Maybe we should talk about it more next week. Uh, we can we can talk about what happens after twenty one forty. I like that. That's actually that would be really cool. Uh, well, th- well, we'd have to so we'd have to hypothetically, yeah, think about a few just like base foundations of how the society is, and then like run with it. How do we do this? Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know. We read about stuff and figure that out. But I think we're. I think we're like well into an hour now. Um, 
Do you want to say any parting remarks? No, that was awesome. <laughs> you want to close? All right, I'll close this out. <laughs> Do you have any parting remarks before we close? Thanks for joining us in episode four. If you've made it this far, stay for the cool outro. Might as well. <laughs> <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode four of the Moon Tea Podcast with John Kim and Hugh Berryman, myself and John. Oh, man. Uh, muddled that one up. Anyways, we're good to go. It was a great episode. Uh, co-host here. DM us on Twitter. Say what you think. Let us know if you're even listening to this point. And if you have any requests, questions, comments, concerns, feel free to reach out uh, again. It's John and Hugh. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope you guys have a great weekend until next time. Bye. Peace.